0: All right, so uh, happy Father's Day, y'all. Happy Father's Day to the dads out there. I have some questions for you, though. I have a couple questions. Uh, first question is, what do you call someone who is not a dad who tells dad jokes? That's a faux pas. It's a faux pas. And why do sons, in particular, love Father's Day so much? It's because it's always on Sunday. It's always on Sunday. And... A, third and final question, why don't they have Father's Day sales? Why? It's because fathers are priceless. Oh. That's why. So we have been going through the book of James, and um, as you know, the book of James was written as a letter. So it doesn't have, you know, it wasn't broken up into these chapters and verses that we have in our Bible. And so here in the uh, As we continue, he's been continuing from what we read in chapter 3 last week, uh, where he contrasted the wisdom of the world versus his wisdom, the wisdom from God. Verse 14 in chapter 3, it says, If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast. So, right there, you have three elements or seeds of conflict you have envy or jealousy, you have selfishness, and you have pride or boasting. With that in mind, let's get right into the strife and battles within the church. So we're going to be in James chapter 4. And I'll be reading out of the CSB version. So starting with the first two verses. It said, "What is what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have; you murder and covet and cannot obtain." You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Now remember, this letter was written to a church. Wars and fights in the church? Yep. Many times the battles among Christians are bitter and severe. And the root of these battles is always the same. It's the root of carnality and the internal war within the believer regarding the lusts of the flesh. Uh, Romans 7, beginning in verse 14, describes this inner turmoil, where he talks about, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the sin that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. There's that internal battle. I want to do what's right, the things of the Lord, the things that please the Lord. But my body, this flesh says, no, bro, (laughs) let's go do this instead. You know you want to anyway. In 1 John 2.16, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. So what are those things that you desire? Is it attention? Is it money? Is it pleasure? You know, we get jealous over other people's stuff or their status, maybe a car or a boat, a promotion, maybe even their spouse. Now, here's, don't get jealous over a boat, okay, just don't. You know what boat stands for, right, B-O-A-T? Bust out another 1,000 and just keep putting money out there like that. You know, they say the two best days of boat ownership is, bo- is day number one when you buy it, and the second best day is the day you sell it. So, if someone buys a boat, don't be jealous over that. It might look nice and all that, but just remember, bust out another 1,000. But ultimately, it's all about pride and selfishness in our hearts, right? So we covet and murder. Now, I don't know if anyone here has actually physically murdered anyone. But in Matthew 5, according to Jesus, anyone's anger and insults towards a brother or sister equals murder. It's the same. And you're subject to hellfire. Now, we'll say or think things like, well, look at him in his new car. He thinks he's big time now. Or, how'd she get that promotion? She's an idiot. Or, he doesn't deserve her. I know I could treat her better. You know, even something as stupid as talking about that person will make me look better to this person. You know, trying to elevate ourselves. Again, pride. And it says here, We do not have because we do not ask. I wonder how many blessings we've missed out on because we didn't bother to ask God about it. You know, it's maybe better not to think about that, right? I probably really don't want to know. And instead of asking God and presenting our request to Him, in order to get what we want, we fight, we wage war instead of praying. Now, thinking about something doesn't count as prayer, even though we know the Lord knows all our thoughts. You know, if we think, oh, sure, it would be nice to have that, you know, insert car, house, relationship, whatever. Or, you know, I think that job or promotion would be great for me. It's not the same. Just because we think about it doesn't mean we're praying about it. And when we don't pray, we bypass the opportunity for God to sift adjust. And change. Now by that, I don't mean that God needs to adjust or change to fit our desires. No, 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 no. By taking that time to pray, it allows God to sift our hearts, adjust our desires, and change our will to line up with His. But we don't pray, or we won't pray, so we resort to our own striving, stealing, craving, and conniving. Verse 3 continues on with saying, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So then sometimes when we do pray, it's with wrong motives. The word spend here is used to describe wasteful spending. And I'm sure none of you, I know I'm one, definitely does not like spending wastefully. So, our destructive desires persist even if we pray because our prayers may be self centered or self indulgent. In Jesus' parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, is a great example of a self centered prayer. You see this Pharisee standing there praying like this about himself Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, like this guy, this tax collector. But the tax collector, he wouldn't even look up into heaven. And he kept beating his chest. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, please have mercy on me. Now we might pray, oh, Lord, please let me have that insert selfish desire here, whatever that is. And there's a story about a family that was staying in a cabin in the woods. And a father walked in to where the one-year-old was, uh, his one-year-old son was napping. And lying on his back, the son was eagerly reaching up for something above his head, just trying to reach this thing, whatever it was. And when the father looked, he saw his son was reaching for a black widow spider, dangling just above. Now, the purpose of prayer is not to have God give us what we want. He's not a heavenly vending machine. You know, many times... What we want is actually bad or dangerous for us. We think, oh man, that's so cool. But our father sees that we're reaching for black widows. The purpose of prayer is to align our will with his and in partnership with him to ask him to accomplish his will on this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 6.10, right? So, we need to be thankful for God answering our prayers, whether it's a yes or a no. You know, when it's a yes, thank you, Lord, for this blessing or this opportunity. And when it's a no, thank Him because one day I'll see that whatever it was that I was asking for was actually poisonous to me. You know, let's learn not to give orders or grab spiders, but to do what Jesus did in the garden to submit to whatever the Father has for us. He continues on in verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy or the enemy of God. Have you ever witnessed the pain of adultery? You know God compares his relationship with his people like that of a marriage. Uh, some examples where he does this is in Jeremiah three eight and nine, Ezekiel six verse nine, Ezekiel sixteen thirty two, Ezekiel twenty three thirty seven, and also Hosea three one. In particular, in Ezekiel sixteen thirty two, he says, "You adulterous wife, who receives strangers instead of her husband." In this case, he was speaking to the nation of Israel, but it applies to us, we believers as well. Now, I personally have seen the pain and tragedy of adultery with my friends and my family. The pain and brokenness is never isolated to the two involved. But it affects all those around, the children, the in-laws, the close friends. And why would you want to be friends with the world anyway? 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love, of the, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one, in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. I don't know about you, but I'm about sick of this world. Oh, you know, two years ago, a couple of music artists released Satan Shoes. They were black and red. They had a pentagram on the laces an inverted cross, and it had Luke 10:18 on the side. And they claimed that each pair of shoes was made with a drop of human blood in it. 666 pairs were made at a cost of $1,018 a pair. They sold out in under a minute. And now we're in the midst of this month-long celebration of perversion. There's a rainbow flag prominently displayed on the White House. And there's a push now to no longer call child sexual predators, perverts, but minor attracted persons. I guess we know now what the plus is for. I'm tired of this world. It's clearly going in one direction, and God's going to judge it. Why would you want to be friends with it? Why would you want this world to speak well of you? or of me? Why would we try and impress this world or cater to it? It says, in doing so, it makes us an enemy of God. You know, my wife was in a charity softball game on Friday, uh, guns versus hoses. It was the sheriff's department versus the fire department. And uh, the fire department has these had these three big, gigantor dudes on their team. And I look at them, and I think, I sure wouldn't want to be their enemy, but they're merely men. What about an all-powerful God? Would I want to be an enemy of God? No way, Jose. I am sick of this world, and I don't want to be friends with it. I want the kingdom of God. I want y'all. I want the body of Christ. I want God's people to rejoice and celebrate together. You know, we need to lay down our desires before the Lord so we can have a genuine koinonia fellowship. He goes on in verse 5, Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? Now, James may be alluding to a few different scriptures, Exodus 20, uh, verse 5, Exodus 34, 14, or Deuteronomy 4.24, there's really no clear indication of which particular scripture he's referring to. It may just be a group of scriptures. And what we need to remember is that there is a lust in your flesh that still wants this world. It's still in there. But God is jealous for you like a father is for his child. The spirit that God put in us wants the best for us. John Corson wrote, When we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, we must understand the Spirit is grieved not because we've hurt him, but because seeing what's ahead for us, if we continue on the path we're on, he hurts for us. Dad, it's kind of like if your daughter brings home a biker gang gang member. Now, you might like the bike. I personally probably would check out the bike because I'm (laughs) kind of a bike guy. But dude's got a joint in his mouth, smelling of whiskey. He's got a skull and crossbones tattooed on the back of his head. Look, I don't have that. Just for clarity, I do not. All right. And he's like, "Hey, pops, I like your daughter." Now you Maybe your daughter, though your daughter thinks that uh, he's so dreamy. You can see the pain and hurt coming her way if she goes off with this punk right? And the Holy Spirit feels the same way for us, just like a, our, us, we dads over our daughters. The Spirit within us doesn't want us to be distracted and carried away by the desires of this world. Verse 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 6 tells us there are six things God hates. Guess which one is number one on the list? Pride. That's right. Pride. While studying, I came across this. Prayerlessness is the truest indicator of pride. When I don't pray on a given day, I'm saying, I got this, God. I don't need you today. I can handle it. This hit me hard. I had to stop what I was doing and ask God for forgiveness, to forgive my prideful heart. Because I have not been praying like I should or I need to. God resists the proud. The word resist here means range oneself against, or set a battle array. Basically, God's getting in battle formation against the proud. And pride is the seed of most other sins. It was found in Satan. So he was cast out from heaven. Jesus, on the other hand, he lived a life on earth of humility. Jesus, when speaking of himself, said, Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. In Revelation, when John looks to see the Lion of Judah, instead he sees a lamb slain. That's in Revelation 5. Jesus conquered through sacrifice. And it's that sacrifice that allows us to receive greater grace, but only if we're humble. See, grace and pride are eternal enemies. Pride demands blessings be based on my merit, real or imagined. But remember, grace is unearned, unmerited favor. So grace won't deal with me based on anything in me or anything I do. Grace deals with me only on the basis of who God is and what He did on that cross for me. And it's not like that, like humility, earns me the grace of God. What that humility does, it puts me in the right position to receive the gift of grace that He freely gives. So, what do we do? Verse 7 Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So in light of this free grace that we're offered, that's offered to the humble, there's only one thing to do. Submit to God, which simply means to order yourself under him. Surrender to him as king of your heart and life and start receiving the benefits of his reign. One of those benefits is, is having the Lion of Judah standing right next to you, right? The Lion who's already defeated Satan when he gave his life on that cross for our sin and rose again. The devil knows his days are numbered. So he's going to try and take us down and steal our joy. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So how do we deal with these forces? I'll give you three R's. Recognize, resist, and rejoice. First, we need to recognize that these powers do exist, and will try to deceive and intimidate to throw us off. And often we don't recognize when we're in a spiritual battle. You know that headache that keeps us from going to Bible study, the kids acting up, making you pull back and stay home from church, feeling irritable and ready to go off on anybody who looks at you sideways. We think it's because maybe you didn't get enough sleep or something, ate something bad. But if I recognize that it's an attack from the devil, then I can resist. Resist the devil. And when we do, the awesome thing about it is we got that big old lion of Judah right next to us. It says resist and you are promised he will flee from you. And the third R rejoice. Rejoice in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be irritable and cranky. We don't have to allow circumstances to keep us away from the Lord. Rejoice in the full victory in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how it can change the whole atmosphere around you. Verse 8. I love the way this one starts. Verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Underline or highlight that verse. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a beautiful invitation and promise from him. It doesn't say, you know, he might draw near, or he can draw near. No, it says he will draw near. So how do we do our part? How do we draw near? How do we do that? Well, you're doing it right now. You're in fellowship with his saints. You're being fed the word of God. And you can read the word of God on your own. And you can ask God to speak to you while you're reading it. And he'll do so. Again, prayer is a time that you can spend alone with him. Just get alone somewhere, just you and him, and talk to him. Pray to Him. Listen for Him. Now, I've heard people say, and you probably have to that, you know, I feel like God is far away. And maybe you've felt like that before, or maybe you feel like that right now. There was an elderly couple driving down the road in their car, and it was one of those cars with a front bench seat. They don't make those anymore, but... And as they drove, the wife noticed that many of the other cars with couples in the front seat... The woman sat close to the man as he drove. She asked her husband, why is it that we don't sit that close anymore? He simply answered, it wasn't me who moved. If I am far from God, he's not the one who moved. As we draw near to God, we'll be convicted of our sin. So we should mourn and weep appropriately over our spiritual condition and that conviction of sin. We should then be compelled to seek cleansing at the foot of the cross. When we come as a sinner before the Lord, not like that Pharisee we mentioned earlier with his self-righteousness, but like that tax collector, appropriately humble before God, he will lift us up. God gives grace to the humble. Grace that unmerited, unmerited favor of God always lifts up. Verse 11, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are no longer a doer, or you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What law could James be talking about here? The law of love. Galatians 5.14 says, The whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. This law would change the world if we all followed it. If we criticize or, or pass sentence on a fellow believer, we're no longer loving them, but judging them. Our job is to love. It's God's job to judge and to convict and to pass sentence. Who do we think we are passing judgment? you are putting ourselves above God. You know, we had a similar lesson uh, with the youth regarding forgiveness not too long ago. And I was telling them, you know, when we say or think, I can never forgive them for whatever, whoever it is. When you say something like that, then you're saying your standard is higher than that of God Almighty. God who says he will forgive all who believe in his son, Christ Jesus. I don't want to be there. I'm not in that position. Verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, For you are like a vapor that that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Again, pride makes us think that we can plan our lives independent of God. You know, our plans should be made with a constant awareness of the sovereignty of God. How many of you thought you would be living where you are right now, 5, 10, or 15 years ago? I sure didn't. My plan was to retire in California. I had my career, my home, my family, my church were all there. I had it all set. Yeah, this is where I'm going to be. And I'm sure the Lord had a good laugh about that plan, (laughs) right? Or maybe he sighed and said, "Huh, son. I have much better plans for you. Thank God for that. James here also points out how fragile our life is and that we live and move only by God's permission. Our life is like a vapor. We're not guaranteed our next breath. Now, it's not that we should not make plans, right? But our planning should rely upon God. And since we don't know if we're guaranteed our, our next breath, you know, thinking that we can live and move independent of God is arrogant. Boastful arrogance is evil, it's the root of all sin. The same sin that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. You can read about it in Isaiah 14 12 through 15. And finally, so it is sin to know the good and yet. Not do it. The sin of omission. This is the challenge. It's easy to think about and talk about humility and dependence on God. It's harder to live it out. Much harder. You know, we must put our own desires and cravings under submission to the Lord. And that in itself can be difficult because we want to hold on to these things. Like, we want that control. Right? No, we need to give those things to God. James has been pointing out throughout this book what we should be doing, right? And as we learn about the mind and the things of God, we're accountable to him. You know, in summary, we need to submit our will to God's will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this lesson. Lord, thank you for sometimes the hard lessons that you give us as we read your word. They make us really look internally and see where we fall short. Thank you for your grace that is new every day. And Lord, for your son Jesus, who died on that cross and rose again, took on our sin, paid the price for it, so that we can freely come to you as we believe upon him, Lord, and put our requests into you. Lord, help us to remember to make our will, your, to make our will compatible to yours, to, to change us, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Father, help us all to submit to you, to bring ourselves under, bring ourselves under your authority and to remember you every day, that we need you every day. And to ask you to just be with us daily and to, uh, Lord, just guide us as we go. Father, continue that work in each and every one of us. And may our worship right now just be a sweet, sweet fragrance to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord, guys.
1: Stand and worship i e so grateful for your presence here tonight. And Lord, we want to lift those prayers, those ones that maybe we don't think to pray. We don't want that pride in our way, God. You're the only way.
2: You're the way, Lord. We will be well,
1: Truth in the life and Lord, we just uh, lift up that prayer and and ask that you would just um, help us as we struggle with our pride and our inner ambitions and our inner desires and lusts and and all of that. Lord, give us a spirit of contentment, God, that um, that your godliness and 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 with contentment is such great gain. And so Lord, let us just be content. the great bounty you've already given us, Lord. It is such a bounty. We're so foolish to even want anything else. God, forgive us for our foolishness when you have bestowed such a great abundance upon us already. So much, Lord. You've given us so generously out of your riches, Lord, out of your treasures. And God, we don't want for anything, Lord. I just think about that psalm 23 lord there's just there's nothing that we could possibly want lord you've set us up on this table you've filled our cup lord there's nothing else we could possibly want for and so lord just work in us that spirit of gratitude that spirit of contentment lord and and nail to the cross that spirit of striving and and of uh, of wanting more for ourselves lord may we just continue to be decreased lord that you might increase we pray in jesus name Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed to lunch. It's tacos today. On Mother's Day, we get like salads. Y'all get tacos. So go enjoy your tacos.